good day and welcome to the ESPN French Open preview conference call. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Dave Nagel. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Cynthia, and hello, everybody. Welcome back. The French Open starts Sunday. There's lots to read in the previews on ESPN.com, which will have results, the latest news, and the best analysis throughout. We've got a big crowd here today, perhaps because of uh, a lot going on in the news with tennis, both on and off the court. And here to talk about all that in the French Open uh, coming up are ESPN commentators Chrissy Everett, Brad Gilbert, and Pam Shriver. We will uh, go around the room, try to get to everybody. I'll call out who is up and who is on deck. Batting leadoff today from Associated Press, Howard Fendrich. On deck, Martin Herman from Reuters. Hello, Howard. He's not ready for leadoff? I had no, he had no, they had no warning for his mic. You there, Howard? Can you hear me? Barely. Uh, okay, I, if anybody noticed that I left, I hung up on myself and I'm back. <laughs> and Howard's line is open. Okay, thank you. Howard may have to bat second or third. Wait, are we having yeah, started? Pammy, did you know that I hung up on myself? <laughs> I guess I heard that, but we're, we've started. <laughs> Howard, what you got for the group? Howard, you may have us on mute or unable to hear you. Oh, Howard. Come on. Can you hear me now? Hello? You can do it, Howard. There you are. Uh, Brad, what do you make of the Agassi-Djokovic partnership? And uh, You know Andre very well, of course. What uh, qualities do you think will make him somebody who's helpful to Novak? And, and maybe what might make things difficult for him to enjoy it or think about doing it uh, longer term? Well, first of all, I think it's really exciting that, that Andre is going to coach for the first time. You know, a lot of players have approached him before, but, you know, he's been very busy with his school, just opened up a, another school in San Antonio uh, over the weekend, and his son, Jaden, uh, is a five-tool, you know, player in baseball, got a really good chance to be a first-round draft pick in 2020, so been heavily involved in that. Um, I think that what he can bring to Novak is – Andre played his best tennis from 29 on. Djokovic just turned 30. So, and today's 30 is like 25 used to be. He brings an incredible amount of knowledge, wisdom, passion. And I, I think that he, I think more importantly at the start, it's just getting to know each other and feeling each other out. Um, and then it'll be up to Andre to try to figure out how many weeks he can allocate because he has been pretty busy. But I think the potential is for exciting partnerships. Thank you. All right, next up is Martin Herman at Reuters and then Kellen Sung from the Washington Post. Hi, uh, everybody. Um, question um, for Pam and Chrissy, really. Um, with, the, with the big names missing in the women's draw uh, this year, um, obviously quite a few of them, do they think um, Venus is, is a genuine title shot this time? Pam? Pam, go ahead. You know, can I just add, I'm sorry, the, the quality of the – did you ask who was the um, title Venus. for the French? Venus, Venus. You're sorry, I was going to say because in, in the – about Venus, right? Yeah, that, exactly. Um, I think on the women's side, any number of uh, 15 possibilities are 
uh, in the works. I, I've never seen a time. I thought I'd seen some draws in the last 10 years that were wide open on the women's side, but I've never seen a situation like this. Um, and Venus, with coming off what she did at the Australian Open, getting to her first major final since she knew she had the autoimmune disorder, for, and for many, many years, with knowing her sister's not in the draw, why not? She's actually a more capable clay court player than what most people um, probably think about. And when you consider the big hitters on the women's game that have won, Sharapova twice in the last four or five years and Muguruza last year, Venus is one of the possibilities. Yeah, I, I think it's – I agree with Pam. I think it's um, – it, it, I've never, ever – witnessed a time in women's tennis where it's been this open. You have four top players not playing. You know, with Kvitova, Azarenka, Sharapova, Serena, and then you have the, you know, the number... Is is, is Kerber... No, she's number one now, right? The current... Yeah, she's number one. Yeah, the current number one yeah. player just hasn't really found her form. <laughs> I mean, you get, there's five big players there that, that you know... Four of the five aren't in contention. Kerber has yet to find her game. That leaves the whole field open for anybody to slip through. And and Venus has won it before. And Venus knows, you know, she's like Pam said. She she may look like a great grass court player, but she's a very capable clay court player. And again, it it's going to be the mental part of the game. I think is going to be very important this year for the women at the French. Thank you very much. All right, next is Kellen Sung from the Washington Post, and then Tom Parada from the Wall Street Journal. Hi, everyone. Thanks for doing this. You're welcome. All good. Uh, yeah, just, to, just to piggyback off that question, so, you know, you said that there's, you know, a 10, 15 on a, players on a women's side that could, you know, could win the title. I guess who, right now, you know, who do you think are some of the favorites, and, and, and are there any um, – I guess this can be for the men's and, and women's side, but are there any kind of young players that 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 might be able to because the the draw is so wide open that might be able to like sneak through or or make a statement? You know, I'm, Chris, you uh, I'll just want start. To go first? Uh, yeah, I'll just start. Yeah, I'll, I mean, Halep is a, is really interesting. She on form was my first choice as far as my first pick winning the French um, until you know recently. Um, it, I don't know how the ankle is. They, she says she's 50. I kind of suspect uh, she's got enough time, another week, at least six days. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that she'll be healthy. I think a, a healthy Halep is, uh, you know, you have to has to be the favorite. Mladenovich, I'm going to be very interested in seeing how she does because she she really has had a good like season and I think I don't think she's going to be intimidated playing in Paris at all. I think she's going to revel in it. Um, so I'm, I'm liking the way, you know, she's reached a couple finals and had a great match against Halep in Madrid. And I like the way she's playing. Svitolina is, you know, consistent. Can she sort of capitalize on, um, her last tournament? So in saying that, I think the outsiders, you know, you can't count out Madison Keith and you can't count out Tina Flame. Sammy. And are there any, uh, I guess, are there any, you know, younger players or that would have kind of a chance to break through in this tournament? 
I I think there'd be quite a few young players that would go in feeling they have a chance. Um, Chrissy mentioned Svitolina. She's been pretty impressive. There's probably a couple of younger ones that we, you know, that maybe are even off the radar screen that if they have the right draw, hit their stride, find their confidence, knowing that it's an opportunity open, um, could, could break through. Um, on the U.S. side, when I, I think about young players or at least players who haven't yet been to a major final, and these big hitters, I keep thinking about the pattern on the women's side of the big hitters doing well recently at the French. I just wonder if Madison Keys is in enough. Is, is she in top shape? Uh, can you know Davenport actually, while she didn't get to a final of a French, she got to a semi. She knows her way being a big U.S., you know, clubber of the ball, how to help, I think, Madison Keys at the French, even though it wasn't Lindsay's best surface. So, again, it's just hard to know where to put your money because you want to say Halep, but then the mystery ankle. So, right. Hey, Pammy, you Brad, know where you put your Brad, money? What do you think? Yep, where? Nowhere. Where I would put my money on? The field. You there know, you go. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you told me 17 days from now it was it, somebody unseated, somebody out of nowhere because of – I think that the Muguruza is really struggling. Kerber's really struggling. Keys is really struggling. People that you think that would have a, a, an opportunity to take advantage, I, I don't see at the moment. So if you just told me out of nowhere, somebody like Ziegman won in Stuttgart, you know, I, I, I would not be shocked if you had an older player out of nowhere, a younger player out of nowhere. I just feel like that a lot of women are going to feel like opportunity, maybe a n- never a better chance. So, and I've noticed almost every week we have a different winner. So it's, I, it's almost a matter of if the weather is warm or the weather is cool, who's going to get hot? And just one quick thing about the hit, recent history of the French. When you think about when Schiavone came out of nowhere to beat Stozer in the finals, I think that was in 2011. Um, it kind of started this era of like once or twice a year, a total surprise is winning a major. So I think we all think that's quite possible again. Thank you. All right. Uh, that Schiavone uh, uh, French Open Championship was 2010, I just looked up. Uh, Tom Parada now with the Wall Street Journal, and then Michelle Kaufman at the Miami Herald. Hello, Tom. Hey, how are you? I want to ask you guys two questions. <laughs> ask you two questions. The first is about Nadal, and I want to know if you feel like this is as strong as he's been in maybe two years or so, and what aspects of his game are doing the best for him. And I also want to ask about Djokovic and what you see as a weakness there. I don't know if you see it as a lack of training or a lack of confidence mostly. Well, also with Nadal, I mean, two things that jump out to me right away. He's serving a lot better this year. He's hitting his spots, especially out wide in the ad court. He doesn't have a massive serve, but his service really sets up his game, and, and he's serving better on big points, and he's got more variety in his serve this year, not just serving the backhand. And I think his forehand looks as good as it has in the last two or three years. I thought last year the forehand wasn't nearly as good. And then sometimes 
you know, that spinning and short, he's hitting a lot more aggressive and, and hitting with a lot more confidence. So, you know, those are two aspects of his game that really, you know, can lift him. And he's playing at a elite level again. And, and Novak, uh, you know, there's no doubt that last year coming into this tournament, I mean, he was on another level than everybody else. And he was just a couple of weeks removed from holding all of the slams. And, I think a lot of times in tennis, you build up this equity when you win a lot. And that's what Joker had done. And all of a sudden, when you take a few knocks or all of a sudden you start to, whether or not it's motivation or, you know, there's issues, you you take a couple of losses, the locker room takes on a different complexion in their feeling in playing that person. Instead of dreading playing that person, they're all of a sudden, is there some opportunity? Is he a little bit down? So I, I think that he made an unbelievably bold mood getting rid of his entire team. Um, and I, I think this could be potentially very exciting, bringing on Andre, somebody that, you know, he's, he's looking for some motivation. And I think he's, he's still a young 30, so I still think there's a lot of opportunity. And I think that Rafa and Fed playing the way that they have, I think will inspire him, you know, because they, they were both injured and down last year, and now they're back. So I think that will inspire him. Chrissy, why don't you go and I'll pick up this. Okay. Thanks. And- okay. Um, I think Nadal is in a very position right now. Just, <laughs> yes, it's the best we've seen him play in a few years. And um, he's ironed out all the problems that he's had with his confidence and his movement. And like Brad said, he's got a little more sting to all his shots, not only to serve, but to his groundies. Um, and he's just timed this perfectly well. I think he was worn out. Um, last week, and that's when he lost. And he's he's having some, you know, obviously he's getting away from the game, having a little bit of rest period. But, you know, I, I think for the first time he really believes he can, not for the first time, but for the first time in a couple years, he really has the confidence and he knows that he can win the French. And I think that's, that's really a, a big important factor. As far as Djokovic is concerned, you know, he's, you know, he looked great against team and then Bad against Vera, so he's still having that seesaw, you know, kind of um, spread in his game. And and I think the addition of Agassi, they both are known for, you know, their laser-like focus, and they're very, they're both very zen-like in the way they play and their re- returns. And and I think um, I think Andre is on. I, mean, I think it's a, a perfect choice for him at this time. But I think it's going to be again. It's going to be more of their deep talks rather than strategy that's going to get him out of the slump that he's in. A a couple of different theories I have about each. Um, One on Nadal, I feel like for a while when the game kind of sped him up and started to enforce the time rule, coincided when he got very anxious or got more anxious, particularly on the forehand, and maybe a little bit with a serve wasn't as effective. And I, I feel like this is a guy who has as many rituals uh, to prepare for each point as anybody who's ever played. And I think he's, he's kind of redone and settled back into a little quicker tempo between points. I think that's helped him with his, you know, he's now comfortable mm-hmm. with a little bit of a, you know, just quicker between points. And 
he, he's, I think Carlos Moya is playing a really important role just to have a different voice in there, not just Uncle Tony. And when I think about Novak, when he was not at his best, it was always his serve, especially his second serve, and his forehand that you felt was not always – he was never – as confident as, say, Federer uh, was, or um, even even the Dolls, and I, I always I felt like he overachieved on those two shots, even though they're great shots. I don't think they're as solid as the backhand, and I, I feel like when he's not confident, I look at those two shots; they're the barometer, and I don't think they are anywhere near as good in recent months or the last eleven months as they were when he dominated. I think that's a super good answer, uh, both of them. But good I think point. that's a super good, super good answer about the uh, about Nadal going a little bit faster there. I don't know if you know numbers offhand, but I, I think that's a really interesting point. Yeah, I you think Moy has had a huge influence. Yeah, as Pam said, I think that actually I think it would help him a lot. If, you know what they're doing with the shot clock. If we you know get that on the court, help him play a little quicker. But I, I definitely think the biggest thing. What Pam said is about Carlos Moya, having a new voice and somebody he's really comfortable with. I think, you know, I, I think, Pam, that was a great point. And maybe even going one step further, I feel like the game changed also as far as he, the game got a little faster, whether it was the balls or the courts for uh, Rafa. And you you see him now. He's accelerating more. He's playing, you know, he, he, he's not afraid to play closer to the baseline, not afraid to come into the net and volley. And he's made those adjustments to the, the quickness of the game now. So I think that might be he feels more comfortable. You know, he's not only a defense player, he's not only a counterpuncher, but he can win points being aggressive too. Thanks, all of you. All right, very good. Michelle Kaufman is next from the Miami Herald, and then Richard Pagliero at Tennis Now. Hi, you mentioned a team before, Dominic Team. Can you talk about, do you think that he, I mean, he's been playing really well on clay and everything and, you know, seems to be a guy that could maybe pull off a surprise. Do you think that, that he has a chance, or do you think that Nadal is just such a huge favorite that they may as well hand him the trophy? Uh, nobody ever gets handed the trophy, but first we've got to see where the draw is, where he's going to be in it. I, I think that of the guys 24 and under, I put him as the third most talented. He's, you know, I still put Kyrgios as the most talented, maybe not on clay, but he has the most skill set for any of the young players and Zverev. Then I put team. Team, you know, plays a little bit like Stan, but Nobody hits the ball harder than him, and I, and I actually think that slower conditions for him maybe are better, like when we had the heavy conditions last year, and he can hit through the court. But a lot will depend on where the draw is, and I think he's most comfortable on the clay. And if he has a good draw, he could easily make a deep run. Anything else on team or anything else, Michelle? I just have a quick, I just have a quick comment about team since I, I, I watched, I was courtside for a match he played in Indian Wells. Mm-hmm. And I was really surprised how emotionally um, turbulent he was from courtside. And I, 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 
I'm not sure whether it's something you pick up because you're there and you're, you know, just yards away from him, but I feel like whether it's he's more comfortable on the clay or you just went through a bad mood stretch at Indian Wells, but he seems to be playing the clay court season just very level-headed and not as emotional. So, mm-hmm. I mean, every young player goes through their ups and downs as they settle in emotionally, but um, that'll that'll be really important over 15 days of the French Open and seven matches is just remaining on an even keel the way the greats that, that have come before him, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. Can I ask one follow-up for, for any of you? Um, Federer, I mean, everyone seems to agree, and I just wonder if you did, that, that Federer made the right move to skip the French and just focus on grass and hard court and, and sort of not even waste his time on the clay this year, considering where he is right now. 100%. Let's just say that Roger Federer has built up an incredible amount of equity to know what's the best thing for him. And mm-hmm. considering he had a long layoff and had an incredible stretch to start the year at 19-1, and one, um, I actually thought, you know, because he told me courtside of Miami that he was going to play the French. And I, I wouldn't have been surprised if he played it and, and was able to make a good run. But he probably knows that he didn't want to risk, you know, Maybe, you know, if he wasn't comfortable in his movement, something could get affected, and then he didn't want to possibly have something affect him on the grass. And so I'm sure that's a decision that he came to with his team that, you know, for the good of the grass, it's probably better to take a pass. And like I said, nobody knows their body better than him and his team. So, you know, I'm sure it was a tough call, but obviously he knows what's best for him. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I think he's, it was 100%, you know, it was a 100% right decision for him. He, I mean, the most intense months ahead of him are going to be, the, you know, the, the grass course season through the hard course season culminating at the U.S. Open. And, you know, I, I just don't know with his body and with, um, you know, just with the mental part of just continuing to be so focused for that amount of time, I, I just don't think that he could have done that. So, I mean, I, the, it's 100%. And, and he's earned the right, just like Serena has earned the right to. You get to 35, 36, and you're the leading in all Grand Slams. I mean, you, you've earned the right to pick and choose what you want to do. And, he, you know, unless he 100% felt that he could have won the French Open, you know, he, he really, I don't think, needed to play it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the decision is also made a lot easier because of, because of 2009, the fact that he won it the once, he has the career slam. But it definitely, even though there's an extra week now between the French and Wimbledon, if you put everything into the French and you're there towards the end, quarter, semis, finals, you're pretty much wiped out the next week. Um, you're recovering, and then that takes one week away to getting used to the biggest transition you have during the year. So agree with Brad and Chrissy, 110% right, right uh, plan for Federer. Thank you. All right. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Richard Pagliaro, and then it will be Bill Simons from Inside Tennis. Hey, thank you for doing the call. It's great. Uh, I had a two-part question. First, on Garby and Muguruza, you know, what are your expectations? And also, do you think the struggles have been 
more the pressure and the psychological aspect, or do you think it's, you know, her game is inherently risky because she plays flat and big? And the second question was on Andre and Novak. How much of it, how much do you think Novak is looking for, like, perspective and sort of a life coach, and how much of it is technical <laughs> and tactical and practical advice? And, Brad, I was thinking about the book when Andre said that you told him, you don't have to be the best in the world every match. You just have to be better than the other guy. Like, how much of it is that kind of thing Novak is looking for, and how much of it is, you know, technical, tactical, and X's and O's? Pam, you want to go? You want me to go on Muguruza first? Well, yeah, yeah, go ahead. All right, I'll just a couple things on Muguruza. I think she's um, still, even though she won the French, she's still a little unproven as far as her just day in, day out, grinding it out as a competitor. Um, Nobody questions her when she's on or ball striking. I I, I thought about when Azarenka won back-to-back Australians because I tried to get a feeling for what might happen with Muguruza. And I remember when uh, Azarenka went back and she did repeat, um, but she but she did so in more much tougher fashion. It was um, difficult. So it's possible she could go back to the great glory of last year and have great feelings and find the groove again. It's possible. But she's shown us nothing this year that would make us feel comfortable with that pick. I, you know, I, I think that it's, um, a very um, mental and emotional thing um, issue with Muguruza more than the game because, I mean, she's got the game. We, we've seen it. Um, I think that's – I've seen it when her coaches come out on the court and, you know, when, when you're zeroing in on her on TV, and on TV, you can see the self-doubt and you can see the insecurity and – the frustration that she's having in these matches and, and her relationship with Sam and, and the the back and forth, back and forth. It's, it's very, very much like Simona and Darren really in the, in the last year too, and until recently. And I, I think she's just really nervous and tense and not really comfortable with being at the top of the game, not comfortable with success in, you know, as Pam says, day in and day out. Um, it's almost like nobody stepped up, and she would have been the 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 one person who you thought had a great chance of stepping up after her big win. But I don't know. There, I don't know if it, it's fear of winning, it's fear of carrying on that responsibility and having that target on your back, um, having all the attention on you. I I don't know what it is because Kerber's going through the same thing. Both of them, I think, are are, are going through the same thing mentally and emotionally right now. Uh, and on Djokovic, um, I, I mean, when you're just jumping on board with somebody, it's definitely not going to be technical, you know, the week before the French. I mean, you're getting to know somebody. I think uh, for Andre, it'll be, be incredibly important spending some dinners together, getting quality time, understanding. And then it becomes a lot more about tactical, you know, at, at the beginning and looking for patterns and things that you can talk about and breaking down matches. Um, and really important for Djokovic to get back to the, uh, what, what you brought up. In, in tennis, last time you only got to win 52, 53% of the points. It's not like winning 60 or 65. You've got to be a little bit better than your opponent, and you win a huge amount of time. And I, I think that's you know something that – 
can is attainable. And trying to be too good sometimes can get you into trouble. Um, I, I do think Joker at 30, and he's a young 30, and obviously, you know, seeing where, where Federer is going to be 36 in a couple of months, um, I think it's just getting back to that confidence uh, of winning week in and week out and building up that equity. Plays a great match against team and then has a down match against Verev. But I think that was a good sign, and I think that he's trending up in the right direction um, heading into you know the most important two months of the season for me. And if I can just chip in quickly with a thought that I, I think Djokovic is sort of telling us also by bringing Andre forward how he how Djokovic really feels he should be playing, which is standing toe to toe on the baseline, driving the ball off both sides. When you close your eyes to think about his great matches in the last four or five years, he was just relentless. Even though he plays as good a defense as anybody, his offense was also unbelievable. His movement is superior, you know, almost second to none. But I think Djokovic is telling us that he wants to be able to play that kind of aggressive baseline attacking, relentless tennis the way I guess he played. Uh, And, Pammy, you've heard me say this many times. A lot of times when I'm watching Djokovic, when he's playing at his best, nobody plays closer to the style that Andre played. He hits the ball big to, I call it to big safe margins in the court. And a lot of times when Joker's playing his best tennis, doesn't hit a lot of winners and very few unforced errors. A lot like Agassi played. Yeah, and he plays exactly what you said, taking time away from you on the baseline. with kids having had slumps behind him, um, I, I think on the personal side of it, and, and I keep going back to, I mean, not that I, I don't want to use the word spiritual, but they're both, there's something about the both of them that they're, they seem to be always trying to be more evolved and trying to be more uh, focused and, and like the deeper, they're deep thinkers. And I think he's picked somebody um, in Andre who he aspires to be like and who, you know, they have a lot in common in that way. So, you know, hopefully hopefully it'll do the trick. Yeah, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, next is Bill Simons and then Peter Bodo from ESPN.com. Hey, guys, thanks a lot for uh, giving us this time and insight. Hey, Pam, um, kind of a tough question, but um, we recently saw a very tough situation with um, Ilya Nastasia in Romania, and then you reported that when you were just a teenager, he really crossed the line uh, 30 times or so and asked you, an inappropriate question. How did that all make you feel? And do you generally feel there still is a lot of sexism in the game? And secondly, after all that happened, uh, Nastasi was honored by Tyriak um, in Madrid, and Boris Becker and Yannick Nau came, uh, came out and supported him. And your, your thoughts about that, and is there still a kind of good old boys network in the game? Thanks, Bill. I love this question. <laughs> I'm so glad um, you did, Pam. <laughs> so I think, I think, remember, 1978 was when I made my debut. So sort of um, gender politics was at a very different time. 
I will say the thing that he said to me over and over again was, in his mind, a joke and joking. I never felt threatened or like he was, you know, I never felt unsafe. I knew he was joking, but it was totally inappropriate. I was 15, 16, 17 years old. Um, What you would expect for somebody is that they move along with the times that they're accepting of a different era and that their behavior towards women and what they say should change um, and evolve. And obviously with Nastasi, it hasn't. He's still kind of a jokester at heart, will always be. And so, you know, to expect anything different is probably unlikely and we should just stop expecting him to be anything different. Having said that, he should not be put in a position to be the leader of a female tennis team like the Romanian Fed Cup team. Um, mm-hmm. What he did on the court against Great Britain and what he did in the, uh, in the press conference, uh, what he said was typical of him, but he shouldn't be in put in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, he should be appreciated for being a talented champion of an era past, and he should not be put into a position of leadership. Uh, what Tyriac did shows, you know, Tyriac is a bit of a, he's an entrepreneur and a rebel, and they're, they've been great friends for decades. So um, to have him to the tournament is one thing, but it was like he was snubbing the whole, he was like, Tyriac was not respecting the situation, not respecting the WTA um, by having him on the court. Obviously, Halep being Romanian and being also, um, respecting to your, uh, both the uh, tennis history of um, Ilya Nastasi, it was it could have been a nice moment, but it should never have happened because of what happened in the Fed Cup tie. Um, so Kyriak wants to march to his own uh, beat, but when you're in a sport that's like a league and you have rules that the tour sets and you have the ITF. You can't cross. You can't be just your own person. Like you have a personal business and, you know, run it the way you want to run it. You have to follow boundaries, guidelines, and expectations. And Tyriac did the wrong thing by having Nastasi on the court in Madrid. You know, can I just can I just um, add one thing about Nastasi because I knew him pretty well when I was I, he was my coach at World Team Tennis and. He was Jimmy Jimmy's best friend, so I spent a lot of time with him. And I think, Pam, what you said um, about, um, you know, the, I mean, I look at it, they're, they're, the boundaries were a lot different back in the day. I mean, they were so different. And now they're much more um, clear, and the, the word inappropriate was wasn't a word back then, you know. It, I, we, Ilya Nastasi was funny and irreverent, and yes, he was inappropriate. But in those days, I, the, the boundaries weren't there, and nobody really gave it a second thought. And but nowadays, it's it's a different time, it's a different era, and um, he should be careful, and he should have more respect. He's got to change with the time. Okay, thanks a lot. Hey, Brad, I'd actually like to ask you uh, a question with a different, totally different tone. Um, the Warriors out, out here in California and throughout the country are making uh, 
so much news, and, and Steph Curry obviously is an incredible talent, and he's sometimes compared with Federer with his grace and how he makes a really difficult sport seem easy. And Draymond, uh, like Serena, was born in Saginaw and is such a physical presence and uh, a will. And Grant, he has the, the size of Isner. Can you come up with any other comparisons uh, with tennis and uh, the Warriors, maybe for uh, Clay or Iguodala or Coach Kerr? For those who don't know, Brad is a special correspondent on SportsCenter with regards to Golden State Warriors basketball. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'll just tell you, these last three years have been the biggest joy of my sports life, you know, watching them play. Um, and they play such unbelievable team basketball, and they play the right way. So it's just been nothing but sheer joy. Thanks a lot. Okay, back to tennis with Peter Bodo. Tennis, I think, from Peter Bodo, uh, ESPN.com, and then Neil Best at Newsday. Uh, hey, guys, how you doing? Uh, question for uh, anyone who wants to weigh in, uh, especially in light of what Brad said early on about Andre doing his damage so late in his career. Rafa uh, is now 30, uh, but he, and he's got 14 Grand Slam titles. He's playing very much like the Rafa of old. I mean, what chance do you guys see? What do you see for him in the next few years, and what chance do you see that he might actually, you know, give Federer a run for his money in the in the um, in the title title all-time Grand Slam singles title race? Well, we might be talking about a lot differently had he won Australia, because then instead of being four away, he'd be two away. Um, I think that seeing what Roger's doing at 35, almost 36, I'm sure is giving Rafa, like, okay, there's there's a lot left in the tank. And I, I think a lot of this, for me, the age, you know, it used to be you turned 30, you were completely on the downside of your career. But a lot of these guys can all remember Andre making a deep run in 2005 at 35 years old. So I think that was the turning point in belief that guys could play a lot longer. And you're seeing Tom Brady be the best quarterback in all of football, maybe ever, and he's approaching 40, which is dinosaur for a quarterback, but not anymore. So athletes are pushing the envelope all year round. There's no off-season. Off-season is for you know more training, diet, technology. So I think it's a great thing. And then you're seeing a lot of players – that are improving their game as they get older. It's not like all of a sudden status quo. They're making changes. Look at what Roger's done with his backhand at 35 years old. You're seeing players push the envelope to improve their game. I think it's exciting to see it. And the belief that you can do things at, at after 30, it gives you that, you know, thought that, like, you know what, I can still get better. I can still win titles, and I think it's very exciting. Chris, you want to weigh in? Yeah, I, I think that um, two things with uh, Rafa. How hungry is he going to be the next few years, and, and how healthy is he going to be? The two H's, healthy and hunger. Um, his body, the, with his style of play, has Pretty beaten up. Boy, I'm hearing an echo. Is, that, is everybody hearing an echo? Yeah, I'm going to change phones. It's me. Oh, okay. You're affecting all of us? Okay. No, I said I'm going to change phones. Oh, okay. Sorry. 
anyway, anyway um, Peter, Peter sorry. sorry. The way he's beating up his body, I, I think, you know, I think rest is going to be very important for him and how he he trains and how he uh, limit, you know, how he addresses his schedule. I think that will help him physically. But this is a guy who's used a lot of mental energy over the past 15, what, 12, 15 years and when he plays. We've seen the intensity in his face. How how hungry can he still be in the next couple of years? Because that's going to be, I think, the key motivation for him. And if he can be hungry and feel fresh when he plays his matches, then he's definitely got another three good years, in, in I think, in his career. Um. Just a couple things on the doll. I think he'll be hungry until the day he's no longer on this planet. Uh, he has such a great desire. But he also has an anxiety. And, and, and I think a lot's going to depend on if he can dial back, as Chrissy, I think, alluded to, is dial back his training sessions. As you get older, you just can't do, you can't possibly train the way you did in your early to mid-20s. So can Rafa feel as confident and secure with less hours on the court? So it's like he's going to have to do more visualization, more sort of like um, make the most of, say, an hour and a half to two hours more times than these four, five, six-hour training days that he used to do in his prime. He cannot do that into his 30s, whereas Federer has been able to ease into um, – you know, a little slightly different training, um, and he's still very comfortable with what he's able to do in his mid-30s. Can Rafa do that? I don't know. He has such a different personality and competitive personality. And style. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. All right, very good. We move on. Neil Best at Newsday, and then Justin Terranova at the New York Post. open the women's field is for this event and how you know some people are having trouble kind of seizing their moment is it fair for fans especially maybe even more so for casual fans to view this whole spring and summer as a almost an audition of or a preview of the post serena era and kind of waiting for who might kind of take that mantle in the next you know five years um well, first off, usually in women's tennis, uh, through, say, since I started in the 70s, it's been fairly, most most years, it's been fairly apparent who the next uh, champion would be. Uh, obviously, when I started, Christy was at the top. Martina and Christy shared it. And, you know, until Groff came, took the uh, lead in the late 80s and then Sellis. Um, and then you had... Um, you, know, you had Hingis a couple of years, and we knew about her. Right now, honestly, there is no heir apparent. There's nobody that's uh, sort of that great talked about teenager who seems to have it all. Um, if there is somebody, they're they're a little bit younger, and we still since everybody's maturing so much later, nobody's nobody's sure of it. So, I for one, I don't think we're going to have a dominant player like Serena for a while. I think we're going to have an era of time when she's retired that it's just going to be like a jump ball. Um, 
until that great next champion um, comes forward. But unless Chrissy can shed light on uh, somebody, I don't know who that is. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely um, a transitional period right now in the women's game. And I think if what this shows to me also, and we talked a lot about the gap and nobody stepped up, and but it shows to me also um, how – how great Serena Williams has been for the game and how she's really carried the torch for so many years. And, every you know, people around the world tuned in to watch Serena Williams on TV, and Serena Williams was worthy of front-page coverages, and and she, her presence was uh, enough that she carried the game for, for so long. And you know what? She's not around right now. She may come back, but right now um, it's, it's time to rebuild and it's time to get some stars where, you know, we, we need some stars in the women's game where consistently they're winning week in and week out. And we want to turn on the TV and we want to read about them and we want to hear their interviews and we want to really be enthusiastic and, and we want to be fans of theirs. And right now, I mean, a lot of the top players don't look like they're comfortable with pressure and comfortable with success. And, and I'm, I've said this for two years. I can't believe nobody stepped up, stepped up to the plate and at least challenged Serena. You know, but in saying that, this tournament is wide open. But you also don't have Serena, Azarenka, Kvitova, Sharapova. You know, you have uh, a, 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 um, a Kerber who's not confident, a Muguruza who's not confident. You have all the makings of some great women's tennis. And I think further on down the summer, when we get Kvitova back and we get Azarenka back and we get Sharapova back and we get the players healthier, I think um, it's, you know, it'll be a different picture. But right now at the French Open, it, there's a big, big hole and anybody can come through that hole. It's a big opportunity for somebody to just grab it and take it. Thank you. Okay, I uh, got word that Justin got what he needed, dropped off. So next on the line will be Simon Briggs from the Daily Telegraph. And then we'll stay in that part of the world with Matthew Lambert next from the Daily Mail. Hello, Simon. Hi, guys. Um, yeah, it's a general question um, about the event. Um, Roland Garros feels like it fell behind, you know, the other slams for a while, and now they've got this permission to build roof and get it going again. I mean, how important was that and, and how far do you think he did fall behind in this period of development for the other three? Well, I think it's a charming place. It's a great event, but it's been too small for the fans, the players, and everybody for the last 20 years. I mean, if you try to walk from the locker room to the back courts and on the side courts, it's just too small. And and they need to expand, and they've just been unlucky they haven't, you know, been able to do that. I mean, forgetting about what all the others have done, just for their own sake, they they, they have to get bigger because it just it's it, it's too way too small. And it, to me, it just needs to get, you know, it needs to get modern. It needs to be upgraded, and it needs to be a lot bigger facility. And and the place deserves it. The fans deserve it. The players deserve it, and hopefully it will get done. Pam, 
Um, yeah, it's like it's they got to look to the other majors. Like Wimbledon, such a great example where they've been able to hang on to their tradition and the flavor of Wimbledon, yet been able to innovate and um, put the roof on center court. I think 10, 15, 20 years ago, if we'd been asked, do you think they'll ever put a roof on center court? We probably would have said, <laughs> not, not a chance in the world. But you know what? They've just got to figure out how to innovate. And when you think their situation in the Bois de Boulogne, they actually have, you would think, unless it's tied up with, you know, government stuff or they can't expand, you would think they'd be able to figure this out um, to be able to get the space needed uh, and to modernize their major, uh, but still hang on to that quaint, nice feeling. Yeah, I I, I think I was just going to think of the word modern when you said it. it's the least modern, um, definitely, uh, of all the Grand Slams. And, but it does have charm, but, and it, it, it feels very European, you know, when you walk in the ambiance and the language. And, um, but at the same time, they don't want to lose that European flavor and that traditional flavor. But as Pam said, Wimbledon added to it. They didn't lose it, but they added on to it, and it just enhanced the tournament. And that's what I think, you know, the roof. I think they can make some improvements in, in having a bigger facility and creating a roof and, I think it could become even more charming and even more, uh, I don't know, even more charming to, for the spectators as well as, as for the players. Brent, thanks. Okay. Uh, next is Matthew Lambert from the Daily Mail, and then we will wrap things up with Stuart Fisher at the Glasgow Sun. Uh, hi, guys. Um, just a question about uh, Murray. Uh, what, what do you think's gone wrong this uh, this this year? He's been seems to have been really struggling, um, and uh, and how do you think he can improve? Well, I just read an article today. I, di- I mean, I didn't realize that. I mean, Henman said that his shingles were a lot worse than maybe people thought. You know, I, I've never had shingles, but I I know that that can be a problem. But I'll give you a couple of numbers that that I've noticed uh, about Murray. Um, I, I think the struggles this whole year are on his serve. Last year, he held at a, a career high 85% of the time. This year, 78%. That's 7% less. That's huge. He was winning 54% of his second serve points last year, 50% this year. And maybe the biggest one was he was saving 66% of his break points last year, 55% this year. So serve numbers are way down. Um, Lendl will be on board this week in the practice week and, you know, obviously needs to get some momentum. I, um, I think of all these slams as two parts. The first part is get through the first week. And then all of a sudden get through the first week, then maybe you can get back, you know, and and make a deep run. He was dictating play a lot more last year on the clay, especially with the forehand playing more offensive-minded. You know, he's definitely playing a little more defensive-minded, kind of having, you know, that balance between offense and defense. So that, you know, has been an issue. And obviously he hasn't played his normal standard in the big tournament. He hasn't made a quarterfinals yet of any uh, 1,000 or Australia. And... Just like I said about, you know, equity when you win the matches, the belief now in the locker room that, you know, for the first time that 
you know, Murray, you know, owned a lot of guys. You start losing a little bit, guys feel like they have some belief. But I still think at 30, he's a young 30. He has plenty of time to turn around. I never saw this bit of a bad patch coming. If you'd have told me at the start of the year that he would finish the year any lower than two, I would have been surprised. But here we are coming to French, and he comes in struggling. But now is as good as any time as any, you know, to, to turn your game around. Christy, you want to add something on Murray? Yeah, yeah. The only thing I'm going to add is, um, you know, I think having Lendl day in and day out is is going to help him. Hopefully, Lendl because he really, Brad, he hasn't really been with him day in and day out, has he? No. He, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yvonne is just kind of coming to the slams in the week before, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So he's coming in and out, and I think the years that Andy's best years is he really had. Lendl, you know, at his fingertips a little bit more consistently. And I, and I feel like um, once Lendl's with him and settles in with him, is with him in Europe and is with him before Wimbledon, I think he'll get more into a, a better place. Um, I know I'm, I see him struggling emotionally on the court, and, you know, he's, that's been his biggest issue is himself, you know, struggling with himself. And he's still he's going back to fighting with himself a little bit more, and I think there's nobody better to sort of tweak that or, or transform that than than Lundell because he he's done such a great job with him in the past. So I think he's got to get the emotions under under wrap a little bit and and just take a deep breath and calm down and just uh, listen to his coach and listen to Lundell because you know nobody did it better than him as far as just um focusing and being unemotional out there on the court and that's why they're such a good team. So I I agree with Brad. I think it's a, I think it's a little hiccup here and I think he's going to get back his game back. Uh, just a thought on uh, the shingles and what it means. I think it uh tell it tell it that he's feeling a lot of stress and whether that's stress to maintain the incredible run of late last year, second half of last year. I love Brad bringing up, reminding us about his service numbers and, you know, what, what is Andy yeah. Murray's true color, colors on serve? Is it, you know, I thought he served kind of the way I was talking about Novak, kind of like overachieved a little bit, or he, 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 he reached his maximum on how he could serve his second serves when he was on that great run last year. This is probably more realistic of what that second serve is. Um, can he kind of stretch his mind again and be that aggressive um, gambler on the second serve? And, and can he step up and have the confidence to be not so much the counter puncher, but the aggressive player that we saw when he was at his best on the second half of last year? So, uh, as Chrissy said, Lendl's the one that can bring it out of him. And let's face it, going to Wimbledon, place where he's had a couple of successes now, we will find out there if he can get the confidence back. Uh, you mentioned the, uh, the the Lendl arrangement. Do you, do you think that that can work long-term going forward, the situation of Lendl just dropping in and out, uh, just coming in for the Grand Slams? Or, or, or do you think Murray it, it worked last year, um, and I'm sure they that Andy knows what the arrangement is. So it's not like he's surprised by it. I think that when he came back, I think he came back to work for the majors and, you know, to get ready for the majors. So I, I think that it's something that 
they both knew what the arrangement was. I mean, uh, Yvonne is still working a little bit for the USTA with some of their young players uh, and maybe didn't want to travel like 30 weeks. Jamie Delgado, who's a good man, is with Andy all the time. So I, I think that this arrangement is exactly what they knew it was going to be. Yeah, I, but I do think I, I don't. I agree with Brad. I mean, they they knew what it was going to be. It's not that surprised, but I do think in the previous years when Lendl's you know been with them, there's been more continuity and there's been more security there, and there's been more like everybody likes that. Um, Routine, and I think what Lendl did was get 110 percent out of Andy Murray. And I remember thinking last year, God, Andy Murray's playing a lot of tournaments. I think it was during the U.S. Open series that he was just playing so much. You know, this might be the aftermath. This this first part of this year just might be the aftermath of of just playing a lot of tennis last year. And maybe not not only a little let let down, but maybe it took the wind out of his sails for a little bit. But yeah, because remember Davis Cup and Olympics too. I was oh my just god! Thinking about, yeah, yeah, so much. And it, it doesn't take a week or two to get over something like that. Sometimes it takes six months, you know, to get over something like that. It just uh, maybe he's a little still a little weary from last year. But whatever happens, you know. Uh, you know he's a champion. He'll get it back if if he wants it. He'll get it back. All right. Next is uh, Stuart Fisher, as I said, in Glasgow. But then we do have one more. We'll finish up with Nick Farris at the National Post in Toronto. Hi guys. Uh, a few bad omens. Thanks for going on to extra time uh, for us here. Um, I think Matthew kind of beat me to the punch a wee bit with the obligatory mm-hmm. Andy Murray question. But I guess kind of um, an extension of that. I mean, can you just talk about? You know the difficulties of you know staying number one. You know when you climb that mountain to get there, and then all of a sudden, is it possibly a bit of motivation? You know, injury you talked about it, the the, the strain he's got through. Is that a, you know? Do you think that's a really difficult thing psychologically to you know to adjust to that once you've made it to number one? Staying at number one is a completely different mindset. Well, I mean, knowing Andy as well as you know I do, I, I know one thing that he he, he he's not like. A satisfied guy. He's not materialistic. I mean, yeah. he loves the fight. He, you know, he he's not about the 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 show and the bling. He he loves the the guts and and working hard. Um, and just you know whether or not the shingles had a little more effect than people thought, and a little bit of you know. You know, dip in form, tired. One thing I really have noticed, though, is like if you look at all the surf stats, they're way down. They haven't been this low since like 2006. So the surf stats are lower. So that that's definitely a bit of an issue. But I, I do think that with the reassertion of Federer and Rafa, I think that will only inspire Novak and Andy that like, okay, these guys are older than me. You know, they're they're back in the mix. Like it was 2000 and you know six eight you know all the way through 12 13 that you know Joker and and Murray were chasing them. Now it's back to them chasing those guys again. So I I think this will inspire Andy to put a little fuel to the fire. Yeah, brilliant. I was just you know. Would the rest of you guys about, agree with that? Yeah, I was just thinking about um, trying to personalize it when I became number one. You know that 
feeling of mm-hmm. being number one. And you're right. It, it really is a different feeling than trying to achieve number one when you have no pressure, you know, no pressure, no expectation. You're playing loose out there. You're trying to be, you know, Billie Jean King and Margaret Court and, and they're feeling all the pressure. So then you, you're number one, you start beating them and, and it is a different feeling because you always, as number one, want to stay one step ahead of everybody. And you always, and you, you want to carry that momentum with confidence because you can go one of two, it can go one of two ways, confidence or pressure. And you can rise to the confident, rise to the, the occasion and really ride on that momentum with confidence, or you can start to second guess and doubt yourself and feel the pressure and then your game's going to go down. Um, so uh, the other the other thing is you're, you can't underestimate the field. I mean, the men's game is really getting better and has really come a long way, and there's some tough players now, more depth. And Andy Murray, again, you know, was, pl- was playing at 110% last year. So in order for him to keep up that the winning – you know, 90, 95% is not going to do it. And, yeah. you know, that's where, that's why it's so tough week in and week out um, to be a champion like a Steffi or, you know, like a Martino or um, like a Djokovic has been the last couple of years. I mean, at some point, at some point, you're going to have your ebbs and your flows. You're, you're human. But you know what the fun part and the challenging part of tennis is? And a lot of the reasons why I think a lot of people, a lot of the players are playing 30, 35, 38 years old is because things can change on a dime and you can get, you can change things around and you can make the adjustments and it's a challenge to get your game back to where it was. And that's, that's the beauty of tennis. You always have that, that chance. Yeah, I'm going to add one quick. Th- I just want one quick thing on uh, having great intimidating weapons in this sport really helps. And whether it's Federer's forehand or his serve, now his backhand's becoming a weapon. You think about Rafa and his forehand, and, and, and what kind of an intimidating weapon that is. But then when you think about Murray, okay, his two-handed backhand is out of this world. His movement is out of this world. But as far as that intimidating weapon, it comes up a little bit short. So I think that adds stress yeah. to the rest of the game to keep it all up at the highest of standards in order right. to do what he did at the end of last year. You know what, Pam? You're right on the dime then, and that's the problem with Kerber. That's the problem with Kerber. She doesn't have that one big shot to get that to get her back. And remember when Serena played, even when she wasn't playing at her best, she could still get out of trouble with that serve. So you're absolutely yep. you're absolutely, Murray is the same. You're absolutely right with that. Thanks, Thank you. All right. Now we will finish things up. It's Nick Farris at the National Post in Toronto. You better make it a good question because uh, it's, you know, wow. an hour and ten minutes. You've got to end well. I'll definitely try to. Well, thanks so much for uh, thanks for thanks so much for doing this. Um, really, for any of you, I'm just wondering a couple things about Milos Raonic. Um, first, I guess, how do you think he's looked so far this season, um, and what in his game does he really need to improve on to, I guess, consistently have a chance to break through against the big names and uh, potentially win a major? Um, I, I thought he had a great year last year. Finished the year, you know, number three. Obviously, the guys that have you know finished above him. 
haven't had great years either in, in Murray and Djokovic. I actually thought if you'd have told me at the start of the year, I, I would have said that for sure that he would have another year in the top five, possibly, you know, in the top three. But his biggest issue, and it's been now for the last two or three years, staying healthy. He just can't stay healthy week in and week out. He gets something going, boom, he gets dinged up in his, you know, he's had a lot of different leg injuries, you know. So I think that's the big, biggest thing is it's stopping his momentum and his consistency. So I, I think that most importantly for him moving forward, you know, and he's a big, he's a big guy. You know, he's 6'5", probably 220 pounds, but figuring out keeping him on the track you know, being healthy, peaking for these big tournaments. And so it's hard to, to be at your best level if half the time you're either on the shelf or you're playing nowhere near healthy. So that's first and foremost. And it comes down to when you watch him play in a big match, you, you you think about it, it, one of the, actually one of the best matches I've seen him play ever is that match in London, which was a titanic match where he lost to Murray. I thought it was maybe it was one of the best matches of 2016. But the, the one part of his game that you worry about a little bit is his return game. You know, in a, if, if he's in a quarters or semis or finals of a front, can he find you know some breaks? You're very confident with his serve and his forehand and his serve game, but that's the one part of his game that, that you look at and, and you wonder, can that, you know, get better and where will that go? But health and return of serve. And I also think he's got to learn to be a little more relaxed overall. He may not be able to do that. He may just have this intensity about him about his workouts, about his nonstop, you know, quest for winning a major. And he may never be able to just dial back the intensity because if you're that tense and you're that, uh, I don't want maybe anxious isn't the right word, but that's how a lot of injuries come about because you're not in your natural flow, which we've seen Federer be in his natural flow for most of the last, like, 18 years. And that's why he's had so few injuries. But when you get as tense and intense and carry it to the workouts, you carry it to every part of your life, you get injured. He's the first tennis player, Penny, I've seen that wears, like, the mouth guard on the court. Uh, Panetta won it when she won the U.S. Open. Okay. You know, this is a guy. This is a guy who last year. I mean, he, again, he's he's got all the signs of of a great player. I mean, he's so disciplined. He's committed. He's intelligent. I mean, he he understands the game. But I agree with Brad as far as the training, the injuries. He hasn't been able to train as hard. I think a lot of his game relies also on um, movement. I think that's one of the. Uh, things that he needs to work on more than most players. But I think when he's moving well for him, I think his whole game picks up. And I think that also shows in the return to serve because the serves are, are so hard and so well-placed now that, you know, players have to be really quick getting off the mark. And I think that's why one of the reasons why his return to serve isn't great. So when he has the freedom 
to work on the movement, movement. And when he starts to get off the mark a little bit quicker, um, I think I think he's going to improve. What? Can I just ask a question? What? How many different injuries has he had? I mean, this year he's had numerous ones, numerous different leg issues and and hip issues and. But it's yeah, I mean, he's the lower body, right? It's been mostly the legs. Yeah, and I mean, he's got huge legs, but yeah, he's had a lot of injuries. So he can't work. That, that he's dealt with the last couple of years more than most okay. players. Yeah. Okay. All right, I think we're done. Uh, a lot of good stuff there. Appreciate uh, Chrissy, Hi, Pam, and Brad, your, your time here, and uh, everybody, your interest. If you ever need to follow up anything about ESPN Tennis, uh, reach out to me here. But other than that, thanks for your interest today, and uh, have a good day, everybody.